Friends, it is good to be together in God's presence. I want to say hi to our folks who are with us online as well, or we'll experience this message later on this week in the podcast. If we haven't met, my name is Adam, and it's my joy to be senior pastor here at our church. I want to ask you a very simple question to start off here. What do you want? What do you want? Thank you for taking that rhetorically. Like, turn down, turn down the air conditioner or, you know, like, <laughs> tell me later. But what do you want? That's a very simple question. Uh, it's in the context of a restaurant. What do you want? What do you want to order? It can be a very complex question in the context of a therapist's office. What is it you want? In my experience, the answer to that question, what do you want, has varied. One of my first memories was from 1989. I was five years old, and I was eating Batman cereal. So let's take ourselves back to a simpler, sweeter time. Now, as an adult, in retrospect, I would categorize Batman cereal, I would put it in like the Captain Crunch family of cereals in terms of its texture and its size and all those things. So they were little, they were little bat signals, and I can tell you guys really want to hear more about the cereal. So uh, <laughs> at the tender age of five... Little Adam stared at the cereal box in awe. And the internet can be a terrible thing, and the internet can be an amazing thing. Because I actually found a, a picture of the box that I have this memory tied to. And, and that is this. Even before I could really have any skills in reading, Little Adam discerned that there was a way that it existed to have a Batmobile that I could drive. And Friends, it is not an exaggeration to say, I don't know if I've wanted anything more before or since. <laughs> I, would have, I, would have, I would have done anything. The Power Wheels Batmobile, the desire of my heart. So that's why I would have told you I wanted more than anything when I was five. But as I grew, that answer changed. Age 14, started playing guitar. The desire of my heart was the Fender JG26SE. Loved it. Eventually, it would be mine. Now, we're going to take a turn here. Age 17, the desire of my heart was for my parents not to get a divorce. Age 19, going to take another turn. The desire of my heart was a girlfriend. Had been on a long dry streak, friends. You go, you go to college and, you, you know, and I think we all can feel this way at different times, but it's like, I'm 19, the window's closing. I'm at college. I need something on the radar here. And really what I wanted at 19 was a relationship, but it was really the affirmation that was inherent in that and the social standing that came with being in a relationship. So that was age 19. Age 24, shocked the world, married the eventual girlfriend. And then the desire of our hearts together uh, was a job. It was Sarah's uh, first summer after graduating college, and she was entering the workforce as a teacher in suburban St. Louis. Uh, and our financial life together early on in our marriage really hinged on getting this job. So that was the greatest desire of our hearts. How has your greatest desire changed differently over time? Different worldviews seek to answer this question of what do you want differently. 
Now, our church doesn't exist to dog on people who believe differently, but I don't think that comparing major religions kind of touchstone beliefs is, is anything to be considered rude. Uh, so you may have studied some, you may have pursued some. Uh, so you may be familiar in one way or another, but if you're not, uh, in Buddhism, there are what's called the Four Noble Truths. And these are the Four Noble Truths of Buddhism. The reality of suffering. The second noble truth is that the origin of suffering is craving or desire. In other words, we suffer because we want things we don't have. So the third noble truth is that the end of, if you want to stop suffering, then you need to end your desire or craving. So if we stop wanting things, we'll stop suffering. And that's essentially noble truth number four, that there is a path which leads one away from craving or, or desiring and thus suffering. Now on a broad level, Buddhism is about eliminating desire. It's about getting rid of wanting anything. Because when you have no needs, according to Buddhism, then you have achieved freedom. Now there's a less official, but still I would say religious worldview that's prevalent in our culture. That pursuing financial success should be our greatest desire. And so I want to quote the famed moral philosopher, Mr. Wonderful, a.k.a. Kevin Leary from Shark Tank, who tweeted this. He said, I am not making this up. You may lose your wife. You may lose your dog. Your mother may hate you. None of those things matter. What matters is that you achieve success and become free. Then you can do whatever you like. You said it, not me. So from a worldly success perspective, what matters more than relationships is your wealth and your autonomy. You can do whatever you want when you're successful, and you can be free. So freedom is found in your financial success. So in between the Buddhist elimination of desire and what I'll just call the entrepreneur's limitless desire for financial success above all other things, in between eliminating desire and limitless desire is what I would put in the middle, Christianity. See, Buddhism, if you eliminate desire, you can be free when you have no needs. In this sense of limitless desire through entrepreneurship, through business, which inherently is not bad. I love entrepreneurship. But when it's defined as pursuing financial success above all else, and then you'll be free... That's the other extreme. So we have desiring limitless financial success or desiring nothing. Christianity then is not about eliminating desire, but about ordering your desire. Do you see the difference? And that freedom is found in joyful obedience. In other words, there's not no boundaries. We live within the good boundaries that God has set for us. Christianity is not about eliminating desire or limitless desire, but ordering desire in obedience to God. God created good things. There's nothing wrong with desiring those. We just need to get them in the right order. When we desire things out of proportion, they become an idol. So rather than desiring nothing or fixating on certain desires, the Christian's aim is to desire the right things in the right order. So the answer to the question, what do you want, is very important. And what I hope we'll discover today as we study God's word together is that disciples desire what God delights in.
The season of Lent marks the six weeks leading up to Easter. It's kind of the Christian version of not skipping to the end of the movie, right? When we have this big celebration of the resurrection, this is a time of reflection leading up to celebrating Easter. The word Lent comes from a Latin word that means spring season. So during this time of Lent, we're going to be taking a look at five journeys that every disciple makes. And that's the series called From Two. So last week we, we talked about going on a journey of reconciliation and going from enemies to friends with, with people in our network of relationships. We talked about on Ash Wednesday going from enemies of God to friends of God on a journey of repentance. And so today is, is a journey of desire that disciples go on from being self-centered to Christ-centered. So every week we're going to look at one of these from twos, a journey of discipleship. So it's also helpful to have a definition in mind because disciple may not be a word we use all the time. A disciple is committed to a process of transformation into the image of Christ for the sake of others. So it's a process. It's not an instant thing. Discipleship is about transforming, being more like Jesus, and not just for ourselves, but for the sake of others. So this week we want to zoom in on the, on the concept that desires are not inherently bad. We just need to put them in the right order. So as, as disciples following Jesus, we would do well to understand what Jesus said about this. In Matthew 6, starting in verse 31, Jesus says, So do not worry, what shall we eat or what shall we drink, saying those things. Or what shall we wear, for the pagans run after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So we just have to get these things in the right order. Seek first God's kingdom and righteousness, and everything else will fall into its proper place. All right, Jesus, that sounds good, but I'm still quite worried. Right? I think this scripture, for me, has been, has been difficult for a couple reasons. One, just I think, I think we all do our fair share of worrying. But in, in my life, when I hear Jesus telling us not to worry about what to eat or drink or what to wear, there hasn't been one single day in my life where I didn't have a fridge full of food and a closet full of clothes. Now, in college, it did get a little lean, <laughs> but I was still in college, right? I mean, it's, I mean how, bad, how bad was it? Sometime I'll tell you the story of when Sarah and I uh, were going to have a picnic and we bought two Lunchables but couldn't afford the Lunchables with the Capri Sun and the little candy bar. So we had to put those back and get the poor folks Lunchables. <laughs> so I experienced some Lunchable uh, poverty. But, I, I mean, when I hear Jesus saying, well, don't worry, I've, I've never had to worry about not having enough. Right? So, so how's, how's, this, how's this sit with me? Why am I still worried? Why am I so worried? Now, I was trying to make a joke about Lunchables. Kind of a food theme. Got the Batman cereal and Lunchables. I do eat, like, vegetables. Um, so I need to think about this a little more. But some of us do know what it's like to have to worry about what we're going to eat and the availability of what to eat or drink or what to wear. So, so I want to kind of expand on this thought of Jesus saying, don't worry about what to eat or drink or what to wear. Because why do I still worry about these things if I've had a closet full of clothes and a fridge full of food? Well, what if instead of Jesus saying, 
just food or drink and lim- limiting it to what literally our next meal. What if we thought of Jesus saying, don't worry about your security, about having enough. Food or drink representing security. And instead of clothes, what if we imagine Jesus saying, don't worry about your image, what other people think of you. So if you take food and drink to mean security and clothes to mean image, and, and now thinking about security and image, that dominates almost every decision I make daily. How does this, how does this affect me having what I need? And what's this going to make other people think of me? Almost every decision I make is run through these two filters. I mean, even Sunday mornings, I have to think to myself, put on a shirt with buttons, Adam. Put, like, this, this is me trying hard. Okay, because they won't listen to me if I just wear my chief sweatpants for the 18th Sunday. Like, it doesn't work. Am I the only one that lets image and security dominate most of our decisions? And so Jesus tells us not to, not to worry about these, not to let them grow out of proportion. Which do we give more thought to? What others think about us or what God says about us? What do we give more thought to? The things we wish we had that we don't or the gifts that God has provided us? What are we looking more at? What we have or what we lack that we think we need? Image and security are usually top of mind. That's what I tend to seek first. But Jesus says we should not desire these more than seeking God's kingdom first. Okay, Jesus, how do we do that? A disciple of Jesus is committed to a process of being transformed into the image of Christ for the sake of others. That process can be slow and even painful or frustrating. But if we want to seek first God's kingdom, we need to understand that for most of us, that's going to be a long process. Moving from self-centered to Christ-centered, seeking first my image and security versus seeking first God's kingdom, probably won't happen overnight. There's a a book one of our uh, groups is reading called The Servant. It's an excellent book. And in it, the author describes a version of the process of developing any new skill. We begin by being unconscious and unskilled. This is the you don't know what you don't know phase. We're unaware of things and we don't know how to, how to improve on this skill. We start off our instincts being very self-centered. It's from the time we're children. What's the first, among the first words a kid learns? No and mine, right? So that's over here on the left. The red, the red box here. Then we hear Jesus saying, you, don't, you shouldn't just worry about image and security all the time. You need to seek first God's kingdom. Now we've become conscious of another way to view the world, but we're still not very good at it. And that's where we can really get discouraged because we're not instant Christian overnight. Well, that's not how it works in my experience. That's the awkward stage because you're fighting to develop a new way of thinking, a new way of seeing the world. It's going to take time. Then over time, and that's this little box on the bottom in my rudimentary chart drawing. This represents time and it represents God's spirit at work in us. Again, it's a process. And we become more aware. We start to, to, to have a mindset of, oh, maybe, I mean, this is trivial. But it's little things like I, 
I could give up that parking spot for that person. It's fine. Or, or I don't have to comment on this social media. I don't have to respond to this email. I don't have to tell this person my opinion. We, 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 we become conscious of, of seeing the world as Christ saw it, and we grow in our skill, and eventually it becomes an instinct. It becomes unconscious. We don't have to think about it as much. We don't have to apply as much effort because over time and through God's spirit, we've transformed. It becomes an instinct. If you've ever played an instrument, you know you're not a virtuoso in one day. Well, my man Kevin over here on the bass, he probably was close. But has anybody had like a kid play, play a trumpet or something? It's painful. It's painful. The same is true with the spiritual life. If we think we just should wake up and be experts, that doesn't work that way with hardly anything. If we want to grow in our discipleship, we need to remember it's a process and it's one guided by God's spirit. Think about when you first started to learn to drive, right? At 16, you sit down and you've got your checklist, checklist, right? Okay, sit down, check the side mirrors, check the rear view mirror, put on my seatbelt, turn on the engine, uh, put the gear in reverse, turn around to make sure I'm not going to hit anybody, slowly release foot off the brake. That, could, that probably took a minute and a half or two minutes. And after you've been driving a while, you do all that in like 10 seconds. Right, or, or students, if, if you're not driving yet, when we, when we learn to read and we're sounding stuff out and we're kind of struggling through the words and eventually they start to flow, our instincts change. We go from conscious, unskilled effort to unconscious, skilled instincts. Well, again, how do we do that? What does that process of transformation take? I would offer you Psalm 37.4. This is a hall of famer. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now, we might read this and think, oh, man, if I pray hard enough, I'll finally get a 1989 drivable Batmobile. <laughs> or I don't know what your equivalent is for that. I don't know what that might be. New Jordans. A new riding lawnmower. I don't know what, what your equivalent would be. Immortality for Patrick Mahomes. I don't know. <laughs> for, for giving suggestions. So, so the problem is that our hearts might not always desire the best things. Now, I know enough stories in here to know that we desire very good things. Healing or freedom from a diagnosis. There's, we could make a good list. The problem is, we also desire some things that maybe not, uh, are not God's best for us. And so over time and through the power of God's spirit, we can experience a change in desire. So here's my answer to these rhetorical questions I've been peppering you with. How do we seek God's kingdom first according to Jesus? How can we gain new instincts like we looked at those stages of competency? How do we seek first God's kingdom? We take delight in the Lord. The founder of Methodism, John Wesley, he called these, doing this, the means of grace. In other words, we put ourselves in position to receive grace from God. And talk about preaching to the choir, you're already doing it. One of the means of grace is worship. Because so many good things happen in just this one space. We pray together, we sing together, we study the word together. All of these things help provide us insight. And 
we look around and realize, wait, I'm not the only joker trying to do this. And, and so worship is a means of grace where we're putting ourselves in position to receive from God. I, I, I think worship on Sunday mornings is in many ways a miracle. Now, there's a handful of us, Mike, Mitch, Keith in the back, me. There's some of us who are paid to be here. Everybody else, you could have been doing a million other things. I know that. And so I think it's incredible that you have kept your appointment with God. You have put yourself in position to receive grace from God. When we're all singing Jesus won't fail, that's not something I can drum up by myself in my room. Right? This is something we do together, not in isolation. So I'm here to tell you, you're already closer than you think if you think you're far off. Other means of grace would be uh, studying scripture, both in, uh, as an individual and in collectively in community. The Bible is a strange book. Okay? I spent seven years on it. Still, still a novice. So if you think you can just crack that thing open and have all the answers, you should be up here next week. That's why we study it together. In community, that's another means of grace is, is accountability and, and encouragement together. And another means of grace is prayer. So delighting, when we delight in God, we're using the means of grace. We're putting ourselves in a position to hear God's voice over and above all the other voices telling you how much you need or how good you aren't. Sorry, Mr. Wonderful, you got to take a seat. You can sit on pause on my YouTube TV. We listen for God's voice over and above all the other competing voices, of which there are infinite. When we read scripture, we're reminded that we're already deemed worthy of God's love. And we don't have to obsess how others perceive us. When we worship, we remember that we're part of a much bigger picture. And it's not just about us. When we pray, we can ask God to help us continue our progress in becoming more like Christ. I'm just, this is just a little tip from me. This is John 3.30. So if you're looking for a prayer to kind of keep on top of mind, let me suggest he must increase, I must decrease. Going from being self-centered to Christ-centered. That's John 3.30. Very simple. He must increase, I must decrease. He being Christ. And when we're, when we're in community together, we can be inspired by the Christ-likeness that we see in others, and that helps encourage us, and it helps keep us accountable when others are willing to speak into our lives. My son is in third grade, and there's a whole system of incentives for recognizing and encouraging good behavior. They're called Starbucks, not like the new store coming to town. I don't know if you've heard of that. Uh, it's star student. It stands for something. And so they're called Starbucks. And earlier this year, my son racked up a whole bunch of Starbucks. And he decided to cash them in on reading to his sister's kindergarten class. He didn't spend them on candy or raffle tickets for a new TV. He's doing some of that. But he wanted to see his sister and he wanted to serve her class. Man, when I was in third grade, honestly, I was still hoping for the Batmobile. This would have been the farthest thing from my mind. I would have had like a mountain of fun-sized Snickers on my desk. 
with all my Starbucks. I would have bartered them for other goods, like I was in jail or something. That's probably not appropriate. I'm sorry. Now, so here's the deal. I know I put a picture of my son up there, and it's my job as a dad to be biased. And guess what? I am. 100%. That's my job. But Jesus told us, you cannot become my disciple if you don't become like a child. You cannot enter the kingdom of God unless you become like little children. And so I haven't even told him about this because I don't want him to get a big head. But I'm, ex- I'm inspired by my son's selflessness. So who is it that you can look to, maybe in a surprising way, by the way, who can you look to and be inspired by their example of Christ-centeredness? So along this journey of, de- of changing our desire, the good news is we don't have to do it alone. And there's a room full of people here that I could name and that I have seen give me an inspiring example of Christ-centeredness every day. So be on the lookout for it. When we use the means of grace, we put ourselves in position to receive from God. We're, we're giving God space to speak over and above all the other competing voices in our lives. When we take delight in the Lord, he begins to change the desire of our hearts. See, that's the thing about Psalm 37.4. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. When we take delight in the Lord, we begin to desire the things God delights in. See the difference? Not through our effort alone, but over time and through the power of the Holy Spirit. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. A disciple desires the things that God delights in. And we've identified some of those things that we can be like drag us down back into selfishness. We've talked about security and image, things that we want. And how can we contrast that with what God delights in? Friends, again, this is about getting things in the right order. It is not a bad thing to want you and your family to be secure. It's not. It could be a bad thing for you to work so much that you provide your family with everything except your time and attention. We would do well to remember that what good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very soul, their very self. And so when it comes to security, maybe instead of worrying about that so much, we could delight in the Lord and instead trust him even more. That God's provision will continue if we put ourselves in position to work hard and to receive it all in the proper order. It isn't a bad thing to want to be seen in a positive light by others. But it could be a bad thing to obsess about how others perceive us and play the comparison game, which we will inevitably fail. Maybe instead of worrying so much about our image, we should desire humility. And remember, people look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. We've talked about image and security a few times now, but I wanted to sneak in another desire that we have, because this is another one of my faves. Ease. Lord, just, just make things easier, please. That's often the desire of my heart. Just make it not so hard. Maybe, instead of asking God to make our lives easier, we could ask for strength to persevere. As we consider Jesus, who endured such opposition from sinners, so that we might not grow weary and lose heart. 
how do we move from security to trust, from image to humility, from ease to persistence? We take delight in the Lord, and he will change and give us the desires of our hearts. Along this journey from being self-centered to being Christ-centered, Friends, may we take delight in the Lord that he might give us the desires of our hearts. And as Christ's disciples, may we desire all that God delights in. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this time together, for this sanctuary. God, I don't know what we all came in here needing, what our desire of our hearts was, but I know that you do. So God, as a part of worship, I ask that you would provide us what we came in seeking, whatever assurance or provision we need from you, would you pour it out through your spirit in this place on each of us collectively or individually. God, thank you for a community of faith where we can come and be reminded that we're not on this journey alone and where we can listen collectively together to your voice among all the competing voices in the world. God, we lift up our hearts to you that you might take them and shape them and change them to help us desire what you delight in. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.